Everybody okay? Hot enough for you? Uh, just a little more, huh? Hey, thank you for being with us online tonight. We're glad that you've tuned in. Go ahead and stand with me as we open up in prayer. We're going to get right into it tonight. And uh, one of the things we pray for, how many have a need tonight? You'll just signify by lifting your hand. Um, we do have, again, a few prayer requests, people that need a touch from the Lord. Uh, Linda's recovering. Uh, Joel uh, Thacker, still in the hospital in Dallas, uh, but he should be coming home. I think later this week, and really the holdup is they're waiting on some medication to come in. So um, the good news is they originally thought that it was what they call acute. Uh, I always said there's nothing cute about it, but it was acute uh, leukemia, and now they're saying it looks like it may be chronic, which is a good thing. So um, anyway, we, we praise the Lord and just believe that that's a, uh, an accurate prognosis and our diagnosis, and then his prognosis would be great. Um, let's also pray for, again, the heat. Um, there are a lot of people that have to be out in it, and uh, it, it really is pretty dangerous. Uh, I know when I, we were in the military, we had certain, there were certain, they called them wet bulb temperatures, and they would, if it hit a certain level, you were pretty restricted on what you could and could not do. Um, so pray for those people. And then also for Sunday. Sunday is our, our, our Celebrate America. And, uh, you know, we also are looking for people, you know, we do these things. We are going to celebrate God and country, but uh, we're going to give people an opportunity to receive Christ because that's what it's all about. So let's just pray. Father, tonight we are so grateful, Lord, to be able to come together and to worship and to study and to, Lord, just fellowship together. Lord, I thank you for the privilege that we have, Lord, to be able to assemble together and to fellowship and to uh, Lord, just just be a part of, of, of each other's lives. And I pray tonight as we open up, we do so with a heart of thanksgiving. Lord, we're so thankful, uh, Lord, for your availability. Lord, just how dependable you always are. And Father, thank you for good reports. Uh, Lord, thank you that you have stepped in on many, many occasions and you have done uh, incredible things. And for that, we're so grateful. And we do that. We come with that same expectation, Lord, that our petitions and supplications that we make known to you tonight Lord, that you would intervene in behalf. I pray for those that need healing. Uh, Lord, those need a divine intervention, a touch from you. God, I pray you'll provide that. Uh, Lord, I pray for those that are discouraged tonight, that you would encourage them. Uh, Lord, we pray for those as, as in this, this heat, uh, Lord, that you would preserve and protect and just, just watch over. And those that are traveling, your hand of mercy and protection would be upon them. We pray for all the ministries that are taking place on the campus tonight. Lord, be exalted and lifted high in all things. And Father, we thank you. Uh, in advance for answered prayer. We just ask, believing that we receive what we ask for, we do ask it in faith and in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. amen. God bless you. you. may be seated tonight. As you uh, are seated, go ahead and turn with me to 1 John, 1 John chapter 1, or 1 John chapter 1. Some people don't like to call it 1 John. They call it 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. Sound like 1 little, 2 little, 3 little, you know, <laughs> so... Um, so I'm a first, second, and a third. But uh, in way of announcements, a couple things. Don't forget, uh, again, Sunday being our 4th of July celebration, Celebrate America. Uh, again, patriotic, wear your patriotic wares, um, come out, bring veterans. We're not having an 830 service. We'll have a Sunday school and then our 1045 service. 
And then following the 1045 service, we're going to have lunch in the Family Life Center. We'd love for you to come and stay uh, and be a part of that. And uh, again, bring your veterans. And if they're not veterans, bring them anyway. Uh, you know, our theme, I, I was, we were in here praying yesterday, and I, I walked past a couple times, and I thought, you know what, how many of us remember that our theme is each one bring one? And, uh, you know, we want to be excited about getting people plugged into the life flow of the church. We ought to be excited about that opportunity. I love my church. I do. I love this body, and I, I want as many people to experience what we have here uh, as we possibly can uh, but uh, anyway, that's going on. And then Sunday week uh, is, what day is that? The 9th. We're having baptism service. Uh, so we always follow that, uh, an event like this with a baptism service. If you know anyone needs to be baptized, if you'll stop by the hub and, and sign up, we want to make sure that they uh, get the information. And then I'll kick off a new sermon series on that date uh, entitled Questions Jesus Asked. The last announcement is July the 30th, that Sunday night, we have, <coughs> pardon me, we have rented out uh, Splash Station once again like we did last year for a, a uh, back-to-school uh, bash, swim bash, whatever you want to call it there. And so we are uh, give some relief to our kids and stuff for going back to school. But anyway, let's get right into our teaching tonight. How many of you have ever been paid attention to 1 John? You know, it's one of those little letters that we read when we're trying to read through the Bible. And, you know, you got you to gotta get through 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and then get into Jude and, and finish it out. Uh, but it is, a, it is a wonderful, wonderful book. And so we're going to begin tonight with an introductory uh, teaching. And, uh, again, you'll understand why we, uh, I titled this Blessed Assurance. So we're going to read tonight verses 1 through 4. 1 through 4. So this is John. He writes, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life, the life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. And may the Lord add His blessing to His Word tonight. It's been a little while since we've done a verse-by-verse -verse study, but I felt like, you know, as we go into the summer months, this would be a good, this is a good book to park on because it's a powerful book. Um, so, so we're looking uh, at 1 John. We're going to glean the wisdom of a very relevant letter in our, for our time. Now, a little bit about this letter. John, the Apostle John, wrote this book as he did uh, the Gospel of John, uh, the brief letters of 2nd and 3rd John, as well as the book of Revelation. So these are the writings of the Apostle John. When he wrote this letter, he was living in Ephesus, okay? And he would have been in his late 80s, early 90s. So he was an elder man. And the reason I'm telling you that is because when you start reading this letter, a lot of what he says is like the, how many has ever, one of the things that I've always said about our country is uh, I really hate the way that we do, we treat our elders. Because in a, in a lot of countries, elders are esteemed for their wisdom. And in our culture, it's like we put 
our elderly in homes as though they have no value to society anymore. And it's an unfortunate thing because there are people in my past, including my father, that I would love to sit down with and pick their brains. You know, I'm, I'm fascinated when I hear about, uh, what do they call the 100-year-olds? Uh, what, what's that term? Cent, centurion? Is it something like that? Uh, Brother Fields, for instance. Uh, Brother Fields, who lived to be almost 102. I remember flying down to Corpus Christi to celebrate his 100th anniversary. I mean, excuse me, his 100th birthday. Boy, that'd be something. <laughs> I, I don't even know what you'd give for a 100th anniversary. <laughs> uh, I could think of a few things, but anyway. Uh, I remember... <laughs> I, we, I remember flying down there and, and, and being with him, and, and I've got pictures, and it was just such a wonderful occasion. But I sat there, and I've always enjoyed talking to him and some of the, some of the elders uh, because of their wisdom. They would talk about things. You know, Brother Fields being that old, he would talk about World War II, uh, the Korean conflict. He would talk about uh, things like that. He would talk about church life uh, early on and, and their conversion and and it's just fascinating, and I just sit there and hang on those things. And, 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 and so I'm, I'm telling you that because that's really the way the letter comes across. This is John, who is an elder statesman in the, in the body of Christ at this time. He's in his 80s again, early 90s. Uh, and so what he's doing in his old age, and, and, and I, I, read, I thought about that. <coughs> I do that now, and I'll be 58 in November. <laughs> But in his old age, you know what he was doing? He was reminiscing. Um, he was reminiscing about all that he had seen, all that he experienced in his 80, 90 years of life. And at this time, he's probably the only apostle that's still living. That's a pizza delivery. <laughs> that's, again, 80, 80 years of age, 90 years of age. He's probably the only living apostle uh, at this time, and he's reminiscing, and as he thinks about things, he starts writing, and uh, when he writes, he writes as one with great authority. That's the thing I like about this book. There's something about an older person sharing spiritual truth that ought to make, that ought to make us sit up and listen. When an elder stands up to speak, we ought to listen to what they have to say. Watchman Nee, I don't know if you've ever read anything that Watchman Nee wrote. He wrote a book some years ago entitled, what shall, the, what shall This Man Do? And in that book, what he does is he contrasts the ministry of John, Peter, and Paul. And he points out that if you look at the life of Peter, what was Peter? Peter was a, what was he? What was his occupation? He was a fisherman. And as such, Peter was always beginning uh, new things. Uh, Paul, what was Paul? He was a tent maker. Paul, Paul was a tent maker and he built things. And so wherever Paul went, he built something. And then we have John. Now, when, they, when you find John, when Jesus called John, anybody remember what he was doing? He was mending his nets. He was mending his nets. So John was a mender. He was a mender. So at the time of this writing, let me give you a little bit about what's going on in church life. Church has been around a while, okay? Um, and as such, apostasy had started creeping in to the church. 
you know, sometimes we look around at our problems today in the church and we think it's a new and, you know, a modern, a modern issue. It's not. These have been issues that have been going on since the very beginning of the church era. And so John looks around and he sees that there's, there's some apathy and apostasy and, uh, going on. And, and so he recognized there needed to be a voice to call the church back to sound teaching. So John was called to mend errors and to set things right. That's what he does in these three letters. He, he corrects errors and he sets things right. Now, 1 John is known as a general letter. What does that mean? It means that it was not sent to just one congregation. It was a letter that was circulated uh, among the, kind of like a circuit preacher. It was circulated around a group of churches. And when you read the letter, there's a tender tone. Again, I'm giving you an introduction. There's very tender, it's a very tender letter. Again, he's an elder statesman. Um, he speaks with dignity and authority. John, I mean, the reason I say it's tender, he calls, his he calls the readers little children. You, you can pick up the, 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 the tonation of him saying little children. But he's not a pushover because he's also tough on those who are spreading false teaching. So his predominant purpose is to remind believers that they can be certain about the truths of Christianity. Not only that, but they can be confident in their relationship with Christ. Again, that's why we, I called it blessed assurance because we, today we need confidence. You know, there are a lot of religions in our world today, but there are people that if you ask them if they're going to heaven, they would typically say something like the outside of Christianity. They would say something like, well, I hope so. And, and, and then you further inquire and you say, well, what determines whether or not you go to heaven or hell? And they'll say something like this. Well, if the good of my life, isn't that what they say? If my good outweighs my bad, then I go to heaven. Aren't you glad that Christianity is not like that? You know, we have assurance. You know, when I, when I accepted Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, I, he inscribed me on the palm of his hand. There's not a devil in hell that can take me out. I live in that relationship with him, and I'm confident that when I draw my last breath that I'm going to see him and all those things. You know, so his predominant purpose, again, is to remind them that, look, you can be certain. You can be absolutely certain about the claims of Christianity, and you can be confident in your relationship with him. The word know, is K-N-O-W, is used 30 times in this short letter. I like that. There are things we should know. And those things that we know we should anchor in and hold on to. Oftentimes when you read some of the New Testament letters, they were written in order to counter some heresy that had, been, that had sprung up. You know, many of the creeds, in fact, most of the uh, councils, I should say, that you see in church history sprung up as a result of heresy. You know, people teaching and believing heresy or errors in the church. And so many of the, many of the letters that are written in the New Testament were to do that very thing, to deal with these false doctrines that had infiltrated the church. Um, again, a lot of the creeds and councils came out, confronted error, clarified the truth. This is what John said, excuse me, this is what Paul said in Acts chapter 20. He's, again, he's, he's warning of this very thing. Here's what he says. He said, I know that after I leave, savage, notice how he describes these people. Savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So Paul laid it out for everybody. Look, there's going to come a group of people. There are going to be people that will come outside and inside 
that will try to deceive people. And today, boy, I hadn't watched. Devin sent me a little link today. I hadn't watched, but it was uh, a link of a woke church that uh, had, that, what do they call it, the Sparkle Creed? Sparkle Creed, where they had twisted the words to, to uh, the creeds to be all-inclusive in today's woke, woke world. He said, be careful about that. That there's going to be, uh, in fact, the scripture, even Paul writing to Timothy said that the people would not endure sound doctrine. He said there would be people that would come uh, that would be teaching enticing things, that would lure people away and would scratch ears of uh, people that had that kind of drive. Again, we, we see it all the time. So the word heresy or heresy means to select or to choose. That's what it means. False teachers typically will teach some truth, but then they mix something else in with it. And that's, where the, that's why we need to know the truth. The Bible says you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You know, people who don't know the truth can easily be deceived. So, so again, heresy is just basically taking a little bit of truth and then mixing in one's opinions, uh, ideas, whatever. So John, and when he writes this letter, and again, I'm, I'm, I know I'm giving you a lot, but I want to set the groundwork for what we, where we go next week. John is dealing uh, with false teaching, and at this particular time, this, is, this false teaching is called Gnosticism, which basically taught that, that uh, all matter is evil and only the spirit is good. Okay, so what does that mean? Well, again, there's a lot of nuances to that particular belief, but basically uh, they believe that Jesus did not really have flesh and blood. He didn't have a body, that he, more, he was more like a phantom. Okay, that that's who Jesus was. According to this view, Jesus didn't really die on the cross, nor did he rise from the dead. Gnosticism, um, which is where we get the word knowledge in the Greek, also taught that only those who had special knowledge could be saved. So John's writing to combat that. And, and because of that teaching, there were two, um, there were two behaviors that kind of surfaced. And one of those behaviors was flesh, what they call flesh fasting. And what that meant was you could do, excuse, I'm sorry, flesh feasting. In other words, indulge yourself. Indulge yourself. Do whatever you want because matter doesn't matter. So these people went to the extremes. You know, they were like, it's only the spirit that counts. So whatever you do in the body, whatever you do in the flesh, it doesn't really matter because it doesn't matter. It's only the spirit. Well, how many see something wrong with that right there? And then there's the flesh fasting, and that is, uh, that's the other extreme that simply says, since the body is evil, any urge must be purged. And, and so that's some of the stuff that, that John is contending with in this letter. Um, John doesn't waste any time in his writing to get to the core issue of Christianity, which is Christianity, excuse me, which is Christ himself. He didn't waste any time. I don't have to tell you that there's a lot of confusion today on the streets as far as the essence of true Christianity, but here's what I want to tell you. Christianity is not just a system of thought or philosophy. It's a person, Jesus Christ. See, that's where John comes across as he's wanting to remind them and reassure them that what you hear, what you have been taught is factual, it's true, it's, you can be certain of it. That, so Christianity is not just a, an ideology that we support and that we follow. It's a relationship. 
You know, you hear people talk all the time that, that, that Christianity is not about a religion. It's about a relationship. And it is. It's about being reconciled to God. That's what Christ came to do. He came to bridge the gap that sin had separated mankind, the crown of his creation. And Christ came to bridge that so that we could have a relationship with him. Christianity, again, is not just philosophies and thoughts and ideas. It's that person of Jesus Christ. And, he is, and, and he's a fact, Jack. He's to be proclaimed, he's to be shared, and he leads us to joy. So in our text, let me just read it again. John writes, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. There are three things highlighted, highlighted in this introduction. Again, that's, that's all one through four is. It's kind of, you know, many letters start out, grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ and all that. John just kind of, he just kind of jumps right in, Okay. And there are three things highlighted right off the bat in this introduction. A relationship, a fellowship, and a joy that follows. Those are three things that Paul is emphasizing about this relationship here. There is a relationship, there is a fellowship, and there's joy. Isn't that wonderful? But it all begins with a matter of relationship. I've often said you can't have the benefits of the family without being part of the family. So, so if I, just say I showed up at a lawyer's office and they were probating a will and I walked in there and said, hey, I want a piece of their pie. I would have no claim to that. Not, not, not pie. You don't understand what I'm talking about. I know I like pie <laughs> way too much. I would want, so, so just say I walk in there and say, hey, I'm entitled to some of their estate. What are they going to do? They're going to see, do I have a legitimate claim to that? Am I connected so my claim can be valid? If I'm not connected to the family, then it would be a very difficult thing, path to follow, to be able to claim some of the inheritance for myself. That's kind of the idea right there is that, again, we want to talk about a relationship and the fellowship and the joy, all of those benefits that come from being part of the kingdom of God and the family of God, but you can't have that without being part of the family. You've got to be part of the family to enjoy the benefits. So when, you, when we read through this letter, John lays out four reasons for writing this letter. One is in the passage that we read in verse number four. He says, and we are writing this that your joy may be complete. In chapter 2, and I'll just jump ahead, but we'll cover it a little bit later. Chapter 2, verse 1, he says, My little children, I'm writing this to you so that you may not sin. Chapter 2, verse 26, he gives a third reason. I write this to you about those who would deceive you. And then in chapter 5, verse 13, he gives the fourth reason. And he says, I write this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. See, there's the guarantee again. That's, what he, that's the blessed assurance. I'm writing so that you know. How many's ever doubted your, honestly, how many's ever doubted your salvation? 
Sure. I mean, I think most people at some point in time in their life, we, we doubt it. You know, I mean, I grew up very traditional with the Assemblies of God, third generation. I, <coughs> I got saved every time an evangelist came to town. I did. Because I'm, I'm telling you, on Sunday morning or Sunday night, I would have an altar encounter with the Lord, but by Wednesday, I'm a heathen again. Right? Everybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, every time the altar call was given and the evangelist came, I was in the altars repenting all the time. Paul, John says, I want you to be sure that you have eternal life. I want you to be sure that you have eternal life. I'm saved by faith in the finished work of Christ. Ray Comfort uh, his commentary, he comments on First John by saying this. He said, he is first concerned about the joy of companionship, which is, of course, the solution to the problem of loneliness. There's nothing more helpful in curing loneliness than a family circle. How would we would agree with that? There's nothing more comforting to, to, than to be part of a family circle. When you get lonely, where do you want to go? <laughs> you want to go home. To the family. You know, there's, there's something about it. So John, so John writes, I write this to you in verse 4, that your joy may be full. May be full. Answering the fear and problem of loneliness. Then he says this, I'm writing this to you so that you may not sin. He's dealing with another issue of, of human happiness, and that is the problem of guilt. Paul said, there's therefore now, what? No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Again, I hear people object and say things like, well, but, but that, you can take that too far. And Listen, Paul addresses this tendency to want to keep sinning so that God's grace may abound. He said, God forbid that you would do that. God forbid, but at the same time, you know, you've heard me say this a long time, that if you feel uh, guilt, that's not of God. Conviction is of God. Conviction is of God. Guilt is of the devil. Guilt is designed to ensnare and to trap you and to hold you. Conviction is designed to lead you to repentance. He goes on and says, again, I write this to you about those who would deceive you. In other words, he's writing to protect us in order that we might be free from deception. Again, another great problem area in life is this. Where do, we get a, where, where do we get the answers? How do we know what is true? And that's, again, why this letter was written, that we might be free from deception. Listen, you're going to see more woke churches come, you know, that, that are going to be advertised uh, in, in social media, the news. Actually, the more woke they are, I think the more news covers they're going to get. It's just where we are. So how do we, how, do we, how do we fight the deception that says God loves everybody, and if you say anything different, then you can't be a child of God? How could you, again, there's a lot of fallacies in that, and we could have poke holes. But again, you understand what I'm talking about. He said, I'm writing this to you so that you might not be deceived. And then he says, I'm writing this to you to assure you. Again, that's security. That's the blessed assurance. That if we confess Jesus Christ, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in our heart that God raised Christ from the dead, that we would be saved. If we do that, we have the assurance 
that when our last breath comes, Hebrews, Hebrews 9.27 says it's appointed unto man, what? Once to die and then the judgment. If I confess with my mouth, if I, if I show fruit unto repentance, then I have the assurance that heaven is my destination. So how do we know that we're, I, I like this, John says, I want you to be free and secure. So our blessed assurance is built on a firm foundation. Let me give you some things. i got to hurry up. Here's what, we can, here's what we learn. Number one, Christianity is fact. <clears throat> Not fiction. Not some mythology. Christianity is fact. See, here's the thing. Our faith is not built upon a fable, but rather rooted in the facts of history. And this is where a lot of people miss it. You know, we, we talk about apologetics, which is, which is defense of the faith. And, 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 but, but a lot of that stuff kind of gets your brain all fried up. And, and, but the reality is this. Our faith is not built on fables. It's rooted in the facts of history. What I mean? Well, Jesus Christ was a historical figure, a real person who lived a real life in a real place. That's fact. It's rooted in that. History records that. You know, we, so we see this in 1 John 1 verse 1. He said, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. So what is he saying? John begins this letter, again, with no introduction. There's no greeting. Instead, he jumps right into it, kind of like what he did in the Gospel of John. He's basically saying, look, Jesus is eternal. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So he just jumps right in. Uh, he's eternal without beginning or end. You see, becoming a Christian... It's not about joining a church or believing a creed or signing some doctrinal statement. None of that has anything to do with being a Christian. Amen? None of that has anything to do with it. John points out that becoming a Christian is a relationship with a real person. A real person. John has been with Jesus from the beginning of his ministry. So, so you got to pay attention to that. He was with him from the beginning, and he records things about him that are true. John heard what he said. He saw what he did. He also touched him. So this is fact, not fiction. Our faith is rooted in historical facts, not a bunch of fables. He heard. I mean, think about that. Imagine all that John heard from Jesus. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, even just the, the greatest sermon ever delivered, the Sermon on the Mount, John was part of that. John even goes on and says, he's the one who said many of the, he said, I suppose that even earth itself could not contain the volumes of the things that he did. Imagine, he heard Jesus speak. Wouldn't it have been nice to have been there? Hey, move that stone away. He stinketh. Oh, that's okay. Move it away. Lazarus. He heard. He's in a ship being tossed about. They're afraid. Jesus like, I got it. Peace. Be still. Imagine that. He heard those words. He heard, rise, take up your mat, and walk. 
He heard. He saw. He saw. John says he saw with his eyes. That means that Jesus was not a figment of their imagination. He wasn't a phantom. He was a real person doing real stuff. He goes on and says he looked at. That goes, again, that goes a little bit beyond just seeing. It means careful and deliberate consideration. It means seeing with understanding. He saw him. We, we, we derive our word theater from how it's used here in John 1.14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory. His hands touched. This is the same word that is used by Jesus himself after his resurrection. In Luke chapter 24, verse 39, he said, look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. John said, that's what I did. I'm writing to you about that which I have heard and seen and touched and been part of. Well, you know what John was saying in essence? He's saying, look, I was an eyewitness. That which was from the beginning, he says, is a real person. We looked at him, we heard him, we touched him. He actually appeared in history. He's not a figment of someone, he's not made up. He is, he's a historical being. We knew him, we had fellowship with him, we lived with him, ate with him, heard his words, and we've never forgotten them. That's what John's saying right there. And here's the thing, we cannot neglect historical accounts contained in the gospel. They're reliable. You know, there's extra biblical sources like Josephus and, and Philio and some of those other dudes that are out there. Uh, they're, they're extra biblical. But, but, but you, can't, you can't do away with the historical record of the gospels. John said, we were eyewitnesses of this. It's like the resurrection. You've got people today that, that want to theorize that Jesus didn't really die and he didn't really rise or whatever, but the Bible says he was seen. He was seen by people. One occasion, over 500 people. In Luke, as I just read it, he said, hey, touch me. See that I'm real. I'm not, I'm not just a, a phantom projection. I'm, I'm who I said I would be. Again, people want to attack the Bible as a fable, but these are written accounts of eyewitnesses. And you know what? As far as proof goes, it's awful hard to beat an eyewitness account. It is. It's very difficult to beat eyewitness accounts. That's why if a crime is committed, they're looking for witnesses. They want to see people who saw that crime, who could describe what they saw. So, so you don't just summarily dismiss an eyewitness account. John said, I'm an eyewitness to all this stuff. John says, I experienced this. Christianity is fact, not fiction. Listen, my guess is that many people today have heard this so many times that we're no longer moved by the truth. But this is real stuff. It's not a movie produced by Hollywood. He was a real person. Next thing that we learn is that Christianity, not only is it, it uh, not, not fake, Christianity is not private. It's not private. Here's what I mean. Once you and I accept Christ, once we encounter Jesus, it's very difficult to keep our mouth shut. One of the reasons I love seeing new converts is they, get, they don't know any better. They don't know that they should be tame. They get on fire for Jesus. They, they meet, it's like the lady at the well, come see a man who told, I mean, she, she just, she couldn't help but share. 
She couldn't help but be overcome with the reality of who Jesus was. And, and, and that, that's why I love new converts, because when they get saved, you know, people describe it as like, well, pastor, it just felt like a weight came off my shoulders. I felt like I could take the devil on with both hands tied behind my back. There's just something free about that. And you can't, you can't, you go to work on Monday morning. Everybody's dragging in from their hungover weekend. And there you come in with a bright smile on your face and you got a joy in your step. And you're like, hey, let me tell you what happened. I gave my heart to Jesus yesterday. They're liable to look at you and like, yeah, right, whatever. But you know what? You can't help but to proclaim that's what, in verse 2, that's what he says. He said this, 2 and 3, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that which we have seen and heard. The word appeared is twice, and it means to put on display. What I like to say, tell your story. What John is saying is that, look, when you recognize that your faith is rooted not in some mythology and some fables, but it's rooted in historical fact and it's accurate, then you know what? You can just put it out there and display the wonderful grace of God that he saved a wretch like me. I love the word proclaim three times. John said, we proclaim. This word means to report. To announce as a messenger, we might would say testify. Somebody ought to testify. That's what John said. When you, when you have that encounter, I'm writing to you as an eyewitness, and when you understand who it is that I'm writing about, you need to testify. You need to tell somebody, proclaim it. The question is, are we as Christians today keeping our faith private, or are we proclaiming it? It's really up to us. Listen, if they can go, if they can have a parade and go down the middle of Main Street in the nude and have people on TV last week and have people celebrate that gross sin, public displayed and celebrated, which, by the way, the Bible says don't do that. Romans 1, if, if, if they can display that and celebrate that, then surely we can proclaim Jesus the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the Savior of all mankind. Christianity is not private. Number three, Christianity is to be shared. Again, that's part of proclaiming. But see, part of the purpose of, of proclamation is that we might share in fellowship more, more, so that more people might have fellowship with others and with God. Listen, that's why I say all the time, every one of these chairs that are here represents a soul for whom Christ died and we're charged with reaching. We're to build the fellowship. By proclaiming what Christ has done. Again, not based on myths and fables, but in real reality. Verse 3 says, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. That's another purpose of him writing, is so that we can have fellowship together. What is fellowship? Do I have any Navy, Navy people here? Any Navy guys? Ladies? Nope. In the Navy... They say that fellowship is two fellows on the same ship. That's, that's fellowship. It's an easy way to remember because there's a sense that that is true. Two, two sailors on the same ship, like Sally sells seashells by the seashore. Two fellows on the same ship. What does that mean? Well, they have something in common, the same ship. 
fellowship, something in common. See, that's the basis, okay, of our fellowship. And, and, and essentially the word means to have all things common, to have all things common. When you have something in common, you can fellowship. So, so I have a son, I have a daughter, they have families. I can fellowship with them. We have something in common. We're blood. We're biological, biologically related. I have something in common here. We're a family of God. I'm related by the spirit to, to this body here. I fellowship. It's important to me. If you have nothing in common, you have no fellowship. It's kind of hard, right? It's kind of hard to have fellowship with somebody that you have nothing in common with. You know, what did Amos ask? How can two people walk together? Let's say be agreed. Let's say come together in something common. We, we have things in common. I mean, you know, you could take it to the extreme and say, well, we're, you know, as Americans, we have our citizenship as, as a commonality. You know, there are unique holidays that we enjoy here that no other place in the, on the planet supports and, or celebrates. You know, first time I lived overseas, you know, we had some federal holidays that we, as military people, got to celebrate overseas that the local nationals didn't celebrate. And they're like, now, what are you guys off for? You know, they were, <laughs> of course, my unit in uh, Louisiana, if any of you are watching, we used to take John Wayne's birthday off. He, he, was, he was the mascot of our unit there in, uh, at, at Fort Polk, Louisiana. And so you had an option. You could, uh, you could go in on his birthday. And if we weren't deployed, if we were deployed, that, that trumped it. But uh, if we were in, in garrison, we could go to the training room and watch John Wayne flicks all day. Or we could just take it off. But we share, yeah, I digress. So we share a commonality in our citizenship. We have many things in common, but John is talking about a unique fellowship, uh, which is only the possession of those who share, again, the Christian fellowship. That's what he's talking about. Um, we celebrate that relationship together. I'm a brother to Curly. I'm a, I, I, I'm a, I'm a brother. We're connected, and we fellowship because of that relationship that we have with Christ. Again, this is not only the horizontal, okay? It's also the, the vertical. See, this horizontal, you've heard me say that for years, that this vertical relationship affects everything else. I'm stronger in the vertical relationship when I'm strong with the vertical. Does that make sense? When my relationship with God is where it needs to be, then I'm stronger in my relationship with other people. That's what John is telling us right here. And actually, the truth is, we can only have fellowship with a Christian if we are in fellowship with Christ. I like what uh, one pastor wrote. He said it like this. True, true Christianity is an experience rooted in revelation and realized in relationship with God and with other believers. So in other words, my relationship with God is going to affect my relationship with other people. That's... And it has to be. How else can I love those who are unlovable? How else can I pray for those who curse me and bless those who spitefully use me? Again, I wonder sometimes how many today in our busy world are as committed to the community of faith as the early church was. You know, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says they devoted themselves they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. 
devoted to it. I believe that one of the reasons they, that they had such deep fellowship was that they were deeply devoted to each other. With that one cries, we cry. When one weeps, we weep. We, when one rejoices, we rejoice. I would just simply say, look, if you're not, there you are. If you're not plugged in, we want you plugged in. Amen? Amen. Number four, Christianity is not repressive. What does that mean? Well, how many know that there's some people that don't exhibit much joy at all? In fact, I see Christians that look like they've been baptized in pickle juice. I, I think our disposition ought to be a little bit more joyful than a junkyard dog. Amen? <laughs> I mean, we should have joy. Our, our lives should be marked by joy. Verse 4, that's what we'll close with verse 4 as this introduction ends. But verse 4, he said, we write this to make our joy, what? Complete. The word complete means to be filled full. Filled full. Someone has said if fellowship, they, ask, they put it like this, if fellowship is the answer to spiritual loneliness, then joy is the answer to spiritual emptiness. I like that. See, the essence of Christianity is joy. The aim of the gospel is not to bring joy. That's the byproduct. That's why, that's why it's good news. It's, you know, again, the emphasis is to build a relationship, but that relationship produces joy that is unspeakable and what? Full of glory. Again, the ultimate note of the Christian message is that of joy. Joy is dependent on life, which brings fellowship and leads to joy. Again, we've got something that is unique that's why the body of Christ is such a powerful witness to a lost and dying world because there's nothing in the world that comes close to comparing to what the body delivers. John makes it very plain. If people are to ever find fellowship with one another, if they ever find fellowship with one another and fellowship with God, then they will truly find joy that is unspeakable. It's got to it's flow together. Notice that he says that your joy may be full. I think uh, I, I like to do this. I think it would be more helpful to, under, to, to, to substitute the word excitement for joy. And it would read something like this, that your excitement may be complete. Because what result, this is what results when we really experience that type of fellowship that John is talking about. See, when we discover that God is actually using us, working through us to touch a lost and dying world, there's nothing more joy-producing than that. In fact, I, 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 I've, I've seen it happen many times. I have people that come in that are down and, you know, down in the mouth or having a rough time, and I, I say, just get involved. Serve somebody. You, you know, you can't hardly serve people without an overflow of joy and excitement. You know, I, I can tell you the last two or three times in our food distribution, you know, there have been people that have come by, single moms in particular, Veterans, old, older veterans, and they got tears in their eyes saying, you don't understand how much this means. Had a lady this past Thursday that said, I'm a single mom. I don't make enough to, 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 I have three kids. She said, you don't know what this means to me to be able to come up here. And she's crying. And I'm like, please don't do that. I didn't say that to her, but my, I'm thinking it on the inside. I, I'm a pushover. You're going to make me start bawling here in just a minute. Please, please don't do that. Listen, when we stop and think about the creator of all that there is, wants a relationship with me, and then not only does he want a relationship with me, but he wants me to partner with him in kingdom work. 
Man, it, if that's not exciting, I don't know what is. Somebody asked me not long ago, though, they said, when, when do you know, you know, being here 30 years, they said, when do you know it's time to retire? Now I'm too young. I'm 57. <laughs> Somebody said, don't do it. You'll get busier. <laughs> but, <laughs> my, here, but here's... I said, here's what I said. I said, when I lose the excitement of preaching his word. Because to me, there's nothing, you know, I, I've done this over 30, probably 35 years now. Preach the word. But I can promise you, and this is not just blowing smoke, every Sunday I still get butterflies before I get up here to preach. There's something about the fact that God would even allow me to do that. That just blows my mind. Because see, if I was God, I wouldn't call me. I wouldn't choose me. <laughs> but he did. And there's an excitement. Again, whatever, whatever position or capacity you serve him, God chose you. Paul said in Ephesians Chapter 2, that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And, 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 and later on, he talks about work that was foreordained for us to do, that he had created us for. He put us in a spot. And you think, I think about Tom and Rosetta. How many, since 94, 95, teaching that class? 93? 90, teaching a Sunday, an adult Sunday school class since 1993. I know they don't. They're, they're not that old, I promise you. There, there's, something, there's something exciting about that. And, and that's, what, that's what he's saying. Listen, when I meet folks that are going through hard times, again, I always tell them, go find a place to serve. Go find a place to... There, there's a supernatural joy that is released when we engage in kingdom service. Again, this doesn't mean that we're alleviated from any pressures and problems of life. Joy has nothing to do with the absence of difficulties, Right? has nothing to do with it. Joy is not the absence of problems, it's the presence of Jesus. That's the joy. In his presence, there's fullness of joy. That's what Psalm 16 tells us. Again, this joy that we're talking about is an inner tranquility that reassures us that he has us and we are safer in him and then we're safe in him. We're vital to God's program. God is urging, uh, using us to do eternal work, and there's nothing more exciting. And this is what John is writing about. That's why this letter is such a powerful letter. He's writing to remind them that they can be, uh, they can be sure, certain of these things. Yes, there's going to be uh, heresy out there, and yes, there are people that are t teaching false things, but you can be certain that you are built, your faith is built on something that is eternal, and it doesn't fade away. Again, joy is that inward singing that cannot be silenced by the outward negative circumstances. The first, as I close tonight, these first four verses of John introduce us to this first letter to the church. And we'll unpack and we'll see so many wonderful things there. It's, it sets the tone and the content of this letter. It's all about Jesus. That's it. It's all about Jesus. This is the substance of the good news or the, the gospel. And John is reminding them that you have something that is real. It's authentic. It's verified. It's historical. We've seen, we've heard, we've touched. And you can be full of joy and have fellowship with the others. So as I close, Christianity is fact, not fiction. 
It's not private. It's to be shared. And it's not repressive. See, a lot of people want to look at Christianity as, and, and they'll reduce it down to this simple formula, do's and do nots. And that's all they look at it. Well, if I become a Christian, that means I can't do this anymore. If I go become a Christian, I got to do this. That's not Christianity. That's religion. That's religion. Religion is a bunch of rules and regulations that you have to keep. Christianity is about a relationship. And John said he is eternal. I've seen him. I've heard him. I've touched him. I've been with him. And he is that which is from the beginning. Won't you stand with me tonight? It's going to be a great book. I know you're going to enjoy. You know, you can sit down and read this in about 20 minutes. You know, one of the things you might do, uh, we used to, I hadn't done this in a few years, but how many remember I used to do the uh, a summer's journey with the Apostle Paul? I've done it with some of the others where in a given month I'll preach on, like for instance, uh, the book of James. And every day in the month of whatever, we read the whole book. So, so it may be an interesting thing. Maybe for the, as long as we're in this study, maybe every day you get a chance, read the book of 1 John. Again, you can do it in less than 20 minutes. And each, each week we'll unpack a little bit more of it and find his truth. Why don't you bow with him as we close in prayer tonight. And, I, and I'm just going to ask this way. Two things. Number one, maybe you're here tonight and say, you know what, Pastor, I do struggle sometimes with the assurance that you're talking about. You ask how many times do we doubt our salvation, and you know sometimes I'll blow it, sometimes I'll make a mistake, and I think, you know what, how in the world could God love me? How in the world could he just forgive me like that? And maybe sometimes you do struggle with your salvation. John said, I'm writing so that you will be sure. I want you to be sure that if you've confessed with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, that you, you're safe. You're safe. And then the second thing is maybe you're here tonight and say, you know what, Pastor, I really, I really need God to touch me tonight. It's been a rough week, a lot of things going on. I just need God to do something for me. If that's you in any one of those areas, how about just lift your hand right, right back down. I'm going to pray for you. If you're online, if you'll comment, I want to pray for you as well. Father, tonight I love you so much, and I thank you for this wonderful, wonderful book. It's small. But the smallness doesn't reduce the power it packs. God, I thank you that our faith tonight is not based upon fables or myths, but it's historically accurate, based and rooted in history. Lord, thank you that we can have that witness of John and the others who wrote what they saw and heard and felt and that they were with you. They were eyewitnesses. Lord, let faith rise up to grab hold of that. Lord, the world wants to try to spin things to deceive us. But Lord, our faith is certain when it's anchored in you. Father, I pray for the hands that went up that, uh, Lord, maybe tonight they're struggling with with the fact of their salvation. Uh, Lord, thank you that we're saved by faith through the finished work of what you've already accomplished. Has nothing to do with us. Lord, we receive that gift freely. Lord, I pray that you would help us to Resist the enemy who comes to sow seeds of doubt and discouragement. Lord, help us to stand against that. Lord, I pray for those tonight that just need a touch from you. Lord, maybe they're wore out. Maybe it's been a tough, tough week. 
God, I pray that you would hold them with your powerful right hand. Minister to them as only you can. Father, give us a great night as we go home tonight. May we rest soundly. May our bodies be rejuvenated and refreshed overnight. And may we wake up in the morning with a spring in our step and a song in our heart as we rejoice in your faithfulness. Lord, I ask you to give us a great rest of the week. And should you, Terry, bring us on Sunday as we celebrate God in country. Lord, pack the place and give us souls for the kingdom is what we ask. And we declare it in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Thanks for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you on Sunday. God bless you and I love you.